Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome and thanks for joining in with us. Now, when you hear of technology and that it's our future, you could probably think of a lot of things. What is it that really strikes you? Is this a future age that you want? Do you want everything to be super tech? And what would you do? For example, could you write a book a day by having AI finish it? Could you create all the items you need to live as you need them? You know, I mentioned this maybe once or twice. I started my writing career with a science fiction book that I never published. And I found that the mind can just keep going on and on when it comes to inventing technology and robots to do everything for you. So I ask you, is there a limit? Is there a point where you only need so much and you only want to do so much? Here's an example. What if you could grow your own food a thousand pounds a day? Now you can't eat that much, so you wouldn't do it. Well, you'd say, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I'll sell it to others. Well, what if they can create a thousand pounds of food a day and all their shoes and clothes that they would ever need? Do you follow my example? So stay tuned here, pay attention. We're going to talk about shaping the future with Byron Reese. And later in this episode, we have an insider's brief about providing resources through volunteer work. Stay tuned for that later in this episode. And while we're at it, this is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. We want to help you get very successful at growing your business to a very high sustainable level and have you have all the food that you can eat too. So let's talk about Byron Reese. He's a 25-year successful tech entrepreneur with multiple IPOs and exits along the way. And his book titles alone really deeply stirred the imagination. And I do mean deeply. I'm not even sure where to go with some of them. They're profound. So let me sum it off here. Perhaps the best statement to introduce Byron is one of his quotes where he says, the biggest problems of tomorrow will not be a lack of jobs but a shortage of humans to take advantage of all the opportunities technology will offer. That says it all. Let's get into it. Hi, Byron. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Oh, thank you for having me. Pleasure is mine. The honor is mine. We're all looking forward to getting our brains around shaping the future. You've got this game down. You're a multi-author. You're a 25-year serial entrepreneur, multiple IPOs and exits. How did all of that start for you? Oh, I, I don't know. I grew up on a farm in East Texas and uh, went to university and met my, met my wife there. I mean, she wasn't my wife when I met her. Uh, she later became my wife. And, uh, and then I moved to the West Coast. I'm, I'm from Texas and I moved to the West Coast uh, because it seemed like that was where, it seemed like technology was kind of the thing at the moment. And I wanted to be involved in it. And then along the way, I had a couple of successes. And when that happens, people ask you to give talks. And so I started giving talks. And the thing about it is good speakers give the same talk over and over. And I'm a bad speaker. I've never given the same speech twice. And so I, you know, because I've never had the same audience twice in the same exact moment. So I would always write something new. And, And over time, those, all that writing became, I noticed themes I was trying to develop in it. And uh, so I published a book, and then another one, then another one, then another one. And now I'm 
under contract to write one a year. And I, so I have one uh, that came out last year. One's coming out next month. And uh, I'm a little over halfway done with the one that's coming out next August. That's a lot of book writings. Now, somewhere you went from successful entrepreneur in some of the work in the technology, but then you went into a deep dive into technology for the future, into AI, robots, and everything else that we're going to talk about. So where did that vision come into play in all of this? I write about people and, uh, and our, how we got to where we are. I'm actually not all that interested in technology. I'm in and of itself. What technology is, is, is a, it's like a force multiplier to humans. Uh, because of technology, you're able to amplify what you're able to do. And that, that is interesting to me uh, because, you know, I, I think that is, uh, you know, your body runs on 100 watts of power. And if that's all you had, you would feel the limits of that pretty quickly. But what we learned a long time ago was, hey, you know, connect an ox to a, to a cart, and then that's another 200 watts of, of power. And then, uh, wow, we can dig up fossil fuels, which are basically just sunlight that fell on the earth a long time ago. And we figured out how to harvest that sunlight. And now, if you live in the West, you've got your 100 watts you burn all the time, but there's 10,000 more watts that kind of at your disposal. And that's that multiplier that, that really makes you... Um, more than you would be able to do. And so if, if you think that way, if one thinks that way about technology, artificial intelligence is seemingly the most interesting piece of technology, right? Because we are where we are on this planet because of our, our brains and our minds and what we know. And if the question is, can a computer uh, think? And that's a question I got very interested in. I started a podcast about it. I started writing books on the topic. I even wrote a philosophy book about AI. I'm not supposed to call it that because, you know, that sounds kind of like chloroform in print. But uh, so that's how I got into artificial intelligence. And actually, you know, I had this podcast called Voices in AI that I recorded maybe 120 episodes. And I had the most amazing guest on it because this is a great thing about AI is a lot of the early practitioners are still around and they love to talk about it. And um, and I would always ask my guest, I would say, you know, do you think general intelligence is possible? That, that AI that, you know, is C-3PO and Commander Data and, 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 and um, Scarlett Johansson in her and Ex Machina, Westworld, like, do you think that's possible? And 96% of my guests said yes. A very interesting thing because we don't. I think everybody can agree we don't know how to build it, uh, and yet they think it's, it's possible. And uh, I don't. I don't think it's possible. I, I don't. I, the, the, the rationale on why it's possible, if I would say, well, why do you believe it? We don't know how to do it. Why do you think it's possible? People would say, well, we're machines that think. So, of course, we can build machines that think. And that's the underlying assumption, which is people are machines. And if you think that, then they're, they're right. Like eventually we'll make a mechanical person. And then 18 months later, that will be twice as good, twice as good, twice as good. But if people are not uh, machines and you don't have to get all mystical to, to believe that, like it isn't a crazy idea. Maybe there's something about human intelligence. that cannot be manufactured in a fab. Like that's not a crazy idea. 
then if people are not machines, then you'll never make general intelligence. It's just not what machines are able to do. And, and I, I, I think that I don't believe uh, we'll ever have general intelligence, uh, which is probably a good thing, by the way. But what it means is we do have this technology. It's going to be a great help to us. It's very interesting. Um, I think it's been proven people aren't machines. There's some life force that actually operates it, and that life force is intelligent. The body is, can be like, I guess to me, is like you could say in a way the concept machine, but, but, but it grows. It grows. It, it, it permutates. It changes. It, it, it goes to an optimum state, and, and then from there perhaps diminishes depending on things. Very interesting, very insightful. And so now I'm going to ask you, what is the purpose? Is the purpose that you did, you know, just kind of second guess you just a little bit because you wanted to understand this better? You wanted to help people? Why do you do what you're doing in the AI arena? Well, um, it, it is this amazing question before it. You know, if, if I were to ask you, like, can we make it to Mars? You're like, yeah, probably. And, you know, people could gather around and say, well, it's going to take 10 years. It's going to take 20 years. It's going to take 30 years. We could build this kind of ship. And, you know, it would be a discussion. When you talk about what can artificial intelligence do, there isn't that kind of, like, base level start. I mean, it's, it's an open question. Just exactly what this technology can do. Uh, and so I just really wanted to know the answer uh, to the question. It is the question on which everything hangs like you know it, that's the big one are we are we uh, uh, not machines and therefore i would put it this way there's a there's a famous quote by carl sagan and maybe you know about the pale blue dot it was uh, when voyager was leaving the solar system carl sagan said to nasa you ought to turn that thing around take a picture of the earth and he did and it's a, just this tiny little speck and there's no scientific value to that at all. But there's a lot of emotional value. And because he writes and he says, you know, this is it. This is all there is. There is no hope. There's no reason to believe anything is going to come and save us from ourselves. It's up to us. And you know what? Good. Frankly, good. I mean, what a terrible commentary would be on us is, oh, yeah, we messed things up so badly. Luckily, some aliens came along and fixed it all for us. So it is up to us, unless we build machines that uh, somehow save us. And I, I mean, again, I don't, I don't think uh, that's going to happen. I don't think it's possible. But um, that was the question I really wanted to get at, at, at the root of. I like that. And I'm going to address that comment in just one moment. We are talking about shaping the future with Byron Reese, and you can find him at byronreese.com. Let's spell that B-Y-R-O-N. R-E-E-S-E dot com. There's a lot of good stuff there about his books, about him as an entrepreneur and speaker and so on and so forth. You can get lost in the world of AI. Get lost? Well, you can get found in the world of AI. So check that out. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues. Shaping the future with Byron Reese. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Right this moment, the weather is absolutely perfect outside and we're enjoying warm days and cool evenings. 
Here I am wearing long sleeve shirts indoors. And with that, I want to introduce you to Faraday. Faraday is all about clothing for life's best moments, whether it's a Friday night football game, the first day of school, or hanging out with the family in your backyard this fall. They make clothes that feel good and make you feel good. And Faraday's a family brand that believes comfort and quality are key. It's founded by twin brothers Alex and Mike, and the brand grew out of their longtime love of the surf and mountains, road trips, and beach bonfires. You know the feeling. I love going on road trips, and this clothing is absolutely perfect. When you check it out, you'll know what I mean. Faraday is passionate about craftsmanship and sustainability. Every piece is designed to be a lifetime favorite. In fact, their clothes get even better with age. You know what I'm talking about? I love that type of clothing. And if anything happens along the way, Faraday will replace or fix your clothes for life, no matter what. So layer your favorite pieces for a cozy fall vibe, like the best-selling soft and stretchy Legend Sweater shirt that has thousands of five-star reviews. You know, my wife and I have many Faraday clothing items. I talk about them here and there. And each one is not just beautifully made. They feel great. They look outstanding. And it takes that stress away of trying to match things to go together. We absolutely love our Faraday clothing and always look forward to wearing them and, of course, getting more of them. And right now, Faraday is giving all the Tony D'Urso Show listeners 15% off on every order. You heard me. You get 15% off your order. Head to FaradayBrand.com slash D-U-R-S-O-2-2 and use code D-U-R-S-O-2-2 at checkout to get this deal. That's code D-U-R-S-O-2-2 at Faraday, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y, brand.com slash D-U-R-S-O-2-2 for 15% off, FaradayBrand.com slash D-U-R-S-O-2-2. And one more time, that's F-A-H-E-R-T-Y, B-R-A-N-D.com slash D-U-R-S-O-2-2. Guys, Make your wardrobe simple and effortless. Visit Faraday. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Shaping the Future with Byron Reese. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at TonyDURSO.com slash podcast. And now, back to the chat with Byron. You talked about you didn't think it was possible, and you said something else that you didn't think, and it's like, why? Why Why do you think it's not possible? Well... The the way we do artificial intelligence today is pretty simple. We take a bunch of data about the past and we look in it for patterns. And we use, when we find those patterns, we use those to predict the future. And that tells you two things about it. It tells you one, it only works where the future is like the past. You can identify cats because a cat tomorrow looks like a cat did yesterday. It's pretty much the same. Um, And so first it tells you it can only do things that, uh, and, and, and second, it tells you that you kind of have to teach it one thing at a time. Uh, I want a spam filter. And so you have to teach it. Here's a billion spam and here's 
Now you spot them and then, aha, I can do it. And then you say, I want to go through traffic and then, aha, I can do that. Uh, and so one at a time, we kind of knocked these things out. There had been hope. There had been hope of a universal learner that a little bot you could write and just put it out on the internet and say, go figure everything out. And then it comes back and you just start asking it questions like, how can we have free, unlimited clean energy? And it would say, oh, piece of cake. Here's what you do. That was the hope. But it's a very different thing. Like the technology we have, look at patterns about the past, make predictions about the future. Uh, unfortunately, we, we use language around it that implies a lot more to it than, than there is. Like, oh, uh, you know, we, um, we name it. Like you may have a device on your desk that has a, that has a name that uh, you can ask it questions and it, it will answer it. We uh, somehow kind of believe that it's going to be more than that, but that's really all it can do. And, and to be able to do what a human does, to be creative, to, uh, you see, okay, here, here's how it kind of works. I think we have these brains that uh, we don't really understand. Like if I were to ask you a question like, um, do you remember the name of your first grade teacher? No, but I remember she was a lady. The color of your first bicycle. It was gold. It was a gold Schwinn stingray okay, with, we'll, with the we'll high handlebars. Now, there's no bicycle location in your brain. It's a mystery how you just did that. I don't know the last time you thought about that bicycle, and yet you were able to retrieve that in a tiny fraction of a second. And nobody knows how you do that. I mean, I could go on and on about that, but nobody knows how to do that. Oh, okay, maybe we figure that out. But that isn't enough. You know what? You have a mind as well as a brain. Now, what is a mind? A mind is everything you can do that it does not seem like an organ should be able to do. You, you can fall in love. You can uh, be happy. But your, your stomach doesn't fall in love, presumably. Uh, you're creative and, and you have a sense of humor. But, you know, none of your cells have a sense of humor. None of your other organs have a sense of humor. Well, I, I beg to differ with you. Don't we have a funny bone? <laughs> uh, yeah, and so we have this mind, and we don't even know what that is. And that's the thing that makes us what we are. But it, it not as, it's harder than that because we're also conscious. Now, people like to say we don't know what consciousness is, and that's not quite right. We know exactly what it is. It's the experience of, of being you. Like um, a thermometer can measure the temperature of, of, of hot water, but it cannot feel warmth. You can feel warmth. You experience the world. And the reason it's such a vexing question, the question of how it is conscious, is not because it's a mystery. Like science is full of mysteries. That's part of the course. But because it's a mystery that does not seem like it should be possible. There is no, nothing we understand about physics that can explain how matter a rock can have an experience of something and yet you're made out of the same thing the rock is it's just made out of elements so why are you able to experience so you have a brain we don't understand that gives rise to a mind we don't understand maybe and you have consciousness and and that's the magic of being a human uh not our data processing abilities and so that's why i don't think we're ever going to build things that can re mentally replace it. i mean the people i know who work in ai their big problem is like getting it to tell the difference when you say A, H, and 8. Like, that's a hard problem. A, H, and 8. 
A-A-H-A. Like, that's a hard thing. So to think uh, like, oh, you know, it's going to replace us. Um, and then, you know, then what people, what people really do is that uh, they get, people try to, I think, scare them and tell them, oh, it's coming for your job and it's going to, you know, you're not going to be able to support yourself. If you have a family, you're not going to be able to support your family. And that thing that you do that makes you special, not that special, it's going to be able to do it. And people tell people that kind of stuff and it frightens them and as it should. I mean, it's a horrific thought. And the thing is, is it's just not true. And that's, that's the thing. It's just not true. You know, um, but I, I said, I'll pause there. <laughs> you have stimulated quite a lot with that conversation so far. I'm really getting to like this interview. And I would like to say, I usually don't chime in my, you're the expert, but I completely feel 100,000 million percent that there's no way AI will ever replace us because it can't think, as you say, it doesn't understand. It's, it, it, it's actually rather stupid. I think, this is my personal opinion, the more technology we have, the worse we'll get. I have not been able to get my emails to synchronize between my laptop, between my computer and my cell phone for nine months. I, you know, my smart, my smart machine uh, washer uh, will three times fill up with water and empty, losing water and never wash the clothes, but without, by pushing the same buttons on the fourth time, washes the clothes. You know, my smart, you know, uh, you know, we have uh, vehicles today that uh, use more energy than ever. They shut down at a stop sign or a stoplight. They create more wear and tear. I think we've gone, this is my point of view, maybe next year's book by Byron Reese, we've gone over the edge on technology. This is my, again, my point of view. You're the expert. You've written the books on it. Just everywhere I go, I see more hassle on technology. I think we've, we've passed where it's useful. And that, I think, is a lead into something that I saw that you like to speak about called reasoned optimism. And I'm wondering if that's at play, if we discuss that, because I'm like, how does that fit in to this whole thing on AI? I, I mean, I agree with you about like the, what technology can and can't do. And I also think I have a sense on why it does seem frightening. It isn't that there's a conspiracy of people trying to scare you. And I would put it this way, which is if, if you went back in time 25 years, just uh, 1997, uh, the, the, uh, the consumer web was very young, right? Like people were on it. People knew what it was. And if you went back in time and you showed somebody a browser and said, wow, in, in 25 years, you're going to have billions of people using this. What do you think that's going to do to jobs? Uh, they may have said, uh, well, that's going to be really hard on the yellow pages. And um, phone books are going out of business. And the newspapers, are, they're probably going to go out of business because we'll get our news online and people will probably shop online. There are not going to be any more travel agents. Like, you don't need them. You'll do it yourself. You're not going to have stockbrokers. And you know what? They would have been right about everything. I mean, everything. But what they would never have said is, oh, oh, you're going to have Uber, uh, Airbnb, Etsy, eBay, Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, a million 
new companies. You're getting a million companies. And that's the problem is that we always can see what it's going to destroy. That's pretty easy. But none of us can see what it's going to make. I mean, it was like 10 years between the consumer internet and then somebody said, wow, I should rent my sofa out to somebody. Like, it, none of it was obvious. In fact, in fact, you know, we're so far ahead. We've built so much more technology than we've been able to implement that really good businesses are going to be built around just figuring out new ways to apply the technology we already know how to do. And, uh, and that's the kind of problem that's accessible to everybody. Now, your uh, question was about optimism, and, and that, that feeds into it, which is there was a time in our past where uh, we were down to probably like a thousand mating pairs of humans. You can, you can look at the, um, the diversity in our DNA, and you can kind of get a, a sense of how, what a kind of bottleneck it came to before it spread out. Like, Cheetahs had it even worse. Like they got down to maybe 40 cheetahs in the last ice age. And so every cheetah alive is cloned basically of every other cheetah. But we got down to a thousand mating pairs. And if you think about it, we were an endangered species, right? Like who would have bet on us at that point? This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, shaping the future with Byron Reese. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Can we talk about notifications for a second? Who actually leaves those sounds on anymore? Well, besides that kind. And that's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. You know Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere? Whether your thing is vintage teas or recipes for ghee, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of your favorite businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll create an online store in your vibe, discover new customers, and grow the following that keeps them coming back. And Shopify has all the sales channels sorted so your business keeps growing. From an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free libraries full of educational content, Shopify's got you every step of the way. It's how every minute new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you will too. And I have to say it again, Shopify makes selling simple. So you can put yourself and your ideas out there, whether your thing is making ebooks or earrings, Shopify makes your success possible. And when you're ready to launch your thing into the spotlight, do it with Shopify. It's the commerce platform backing millions of businesses from down the street and around the world. Go on, try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash Tony. Go to shopify.com slash Tony to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash Tony. And that's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash T-O-N-Y. And cha-ching your way to the top with Shopify. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others 
to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Shaping the Future with Byron Reese. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at tonydurso.com slash podcast. And now, back to the chat with Byron. And we were a timid, uh, timid species because it served us well, right? Like if there was a big rock and you thought it was a bear and you ran away, not so bad. But if it was a bear and you were like, ah, it's just a big rock, that's <laughs> not going to bother me. You know, so if you were timid and frightened and cautious, you would have made it through that. And, and we inherited all of that. So our inclination is to be very suspicious of new things and, and, and just cautious about them. And yet, since that time, say 70,000 years ago, uh, we've sort of been up the whole time with occasional setbacks. We live longer and our, our children survive more. And, you know, you can take any place in the world you want. And things are probably better there today than they were 100 years ago and then 500 and then 1,000. So on the one hand, you have things getting kind of better all the time. You have more individual liberty. Um, you have more people who are educated. Uh, women are no longer regarded as uh, chattel, as property, uh, legally at least in many places. Uh, slavery is at least outlawed, even though it hasn't been eliminated. Like we're making this progress, and and I, I don't understand. I really don't how people look at that and say, "Yep, yeah, yeah, it's eighty thousand years and nothing but winning." But it's all over. <laughs> That's it. It's turning down now, and. Uh, and I think you, you compound that with all these, these fears about like, how are you going to support yourself and how are you going to get enough money to eat and all these things. And it creates this anxiety about the future. So I'm an optimist because I look at the span of human history. I only really have to know three things to be an optimist. One, um, that technology continues to grow and technology is that thing that multiplies what we're able to do. And so I don't think it's a hard bet to say we're going to have more. And then the second thing, and maybe people push back on this, is that people are basically, most people are basically good. People are basically good. We would have eaten each other a long time ago if, if it weren't the case. I'll give you a real thing that just happened to me. I sold something on eBay and I packaged it up very nicely. I triple boxed it, literally. I shipped it and the person got it. And they opened it, and then they filed a report again on eBay saying that I uh, just sent them a brick. I mean, I did not send them a brick. They said, oh, yeah, I got the box. Yeah, I got the box, but when I opened it up, it was just full of junk. It was just full of, a, of, of broken rocks. Give me my money back. And, of course, eBay did. Now, you realize that if 3% of people did that, the whole thing would break. Credit cards wouldn't work. There's a reason that credit card fees are like two and a half percent, but they give you a 2% rebate because most people are honest. Most people pay their bill and then don't deny it, right? The, the guy who filed the report on me, he's very much the exception. So one, we're going to know more. Two, people basically on net are good. And three, we have a long history of being able to apply these technologies to solve the problem. Now, I'll be the first to say, like, I mean, we have a long way to go. Uh, but does that mean that, like, the trajectory has changed? I, I don't have any reason to believe that. I have, for instance, last thing I'll say here, I have spent a fair amount of time trying to figure out the half-life of a job 
and I think it's 50 years, I think every 50 years we lose about half of our jobs. And I think it's been going on for about 250 years, and I don't have a sense it's any faster or slower. I've been trying to think of one job that's been eliminated in the last five years. Can you think of one? A job that technology has eliminated in the last five years. We used to have a typing pool five years ago, and we like, obviously, that's not one. And it's really hard. Like, I can't come up with one. And so this idea, and then you say, well, that sure doesn't feel like the kind of reporting I, I get, because the kind of reporting I get says, you know, it's over. Like, <laughs> the machines are going to do it. And they're going to have this. And then, and then they make all these movies about it. It looks so convincing. And again, I don't think it's conspiracy. I, I mean, look, I like to see Will Smith fight the, the robot and I robot as much as anybody, right? But, but it's not real. And, and what happens is people, myself included here, start doing something called reasoning from fictional evidence. You see that and you say, oh yeah, that's what's gonna happen. So we think it can happen, but you think it doesn't, it can't happen. And I agree with you because AI so far, I'm not convinced with AI. I'm not convinced at all. It's not where it needs to be. That doesn't mean to say that it won't create a whole bunch more jobs and a lot more economy happens and a lot more sales happen. I see sales and websites and, and concepts and, and items that you wouldn't think twice about five years ago. And today it's a billion dollar industry or whatever. It's like, what? Really? You made all this money about this? It's just amazing, all of the opportunities. So I think whether it's true or not, and I do agree with you, AI cannot ever, I don't think, could ever really be AI without putting a spirit in that machine. But that's beside the point. That's a different conversation. But I do believe it creates a lot more jobs and it creates a lot more opportunity for us, don't you think? As you're saying, it just, it just, well, it just I, multiplies. I say, here, here's how I tend to think about that. Like, what is that dynamic? So you're losing half the jobs every 50 years, right? And yet somehow we keep full employment. You know, with debts, every now and then there's a Great Depression or a pandemic, but we've had full employment. And then you say, well, how in the world do you lose half the jobs every 50 years and have full employment? And, and the way I think of it is, imagine there's like a spectrum of jobs. And uh, at, at, the, at, at one end, there's all these high-tech, High pay, high skill, brand new, awesome jobs like um, a geneticist. And then on the other end of it, uh, there are low wage, low skill, low training jobs uh, like um, the order taker at a fast food place. And what happens is technology comes in and it creates all these new jobs up there at the top, like geneticists on that end of the spectrum. But the jobs it destroys are on the other end, like the order taker at fast food. And then here's the, here's the thing. What people say, usually smugly, they say, huh, look, do you really think those people that lost their job to automation had the skills to do the jobs of tomorrow? And the answer is no. That's not how it ever works. What happens is like some biology professor is going to be a geneticist. Then some high school biology teacher gets the college job. And then the substitute biology teacher gets hired on full-time, backfills the high school biology teacher all the way down the line. So the, the question is, can everybody do a job just a little harder than the job they have today? And I, I think so. And that's 250 years of economic history. 
Technology comes in, destroys stuff at the bottom, makes stuff up at the top, and shifts everybody up. Destroy, make, shift. And therefore, you can have full employment and rising wages while you're destroying jobs nonstop. Um, that is almost unbreakable because there's an infinite number of jobs in the world. Like you can pluck them out of the air. They, all you have to do is say, okay, I can take something, um, a lot of clay, and I can apply labor and technology to it, and I can make something else, a vase. And the difference between what that clay cost me and what I can sell that base for, that's a wage. That's it. And the thing about it is technology increases your productivity. It increases that wage. It multiplies what you're able to do. Um, so it can't eat the jobs. Like there's a finite number of jobs. And if, they, if you give one to a robot, then you got an unemployed person. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I really do. But I, I just don't think that's the dynamic. Well, Byron, that's very interesting. And again, this is very stimulating. And I'm sure there's lots of opinions and points of view. And what I'm thinking about is what you talked about, how whatever the numbers, half the jobs disappear, yet even more come. And here we are, we're entrepreneurs, we're businessmen sitting here. And we have to look at the future and what's going on. And we, we have to do something that we hear more and more of. We have to innovate. Things are changing. There's more and more technology going out, whether we like it or not. It's huge. So do you have any tips or suggestions on how to do that? When you say we, do you mean individuals who at companies or do you mean companies as a whole have to innovate? Well, we're we, the audience, we're entrepreneurs, businessmen. We're, we're, we may have five, 10 people. We may have a hundred people, but we're in charge. We built, usually we built a company from scratch. And because we're entrepreneurs, we ha- are still in business for those that are in business, despite all the changes, because we know how to move and shake to changes. I would say two things uh, that may, may be useful. You know, just a minute ago when I was describing that litany of jobs, high skill, high pay, and low, low skill, low pay, I would encourage people to look at their own day like that. Because if you look at how you spend your day, you're doing a range of things all along that. You're doing some high skill, high value work. And then you're also, I don't know, uh, trying to figure out how to make your washing machine work or uh, uh, something like that. And, and then if you apply that same thing, you say, how can I use technology to create more opportunities up here? And how can I use technology to destroy things I'm having to do down here? then you have that same dynamic as, a, uh, as, as the macro economy. So that's what I would say, like at a personal level, like look at what you can use technology to destroy. And that frees your time up to do those higher value things. So then what you're doing is basically applying that macro thing to your own, to your own life. But at, at more of a company level, there's a sense that I think a lot of people have, like I fail I personally fail a lot more than I succeed. I wish I had a clever ending to that. I really do. I mean, I I think the only virtue I have is I just keep going. But I fail five times out of six or something like that, really. And, And so I feel like I have a pretty good ringside seat on what that looks like. And people, I think, like to believe that that um Business is a matter of having a few rules that uh, you remember, you keep in your head, 
and you apply those. And if you do that, you're going to stay pretty much on track. And, you know, I mean, I remember um, in search of excellence or, you know, whatever they would say, you know, like stick to the knitting, right? Like, oh, they didn't stick to the knitting. But the problem with it is every piece of business advice I know of, uh, there's an opposite piece of business advice that says the same thing. For instance, oh, why did they fail? Well, they stuck to the knitting. They didn't change with the times. Oh, they should have changed with the times. Or um, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, but nothing ventured, nothing gained. Or look before you leap, but he who hesitates is lost. Like every one of these lives in a pair. And so it's an illusion to think, okay, there's just a few rules. If you just remember these, you're going to be okay. Because the challenge is knowing when should you look before you leap and when uh, is he who hesitates loss. Like that's the thing. Now, I got really interested in, in countries and companies that did actually make, uh, when, when technology came along and just like, just really upended them. They got through it. And I spent a fair amount of time studying those. And I really like thinking about um, Western Union, like they are the telegraph company, the telegrams. And it was even worse because in the war, in World War II, that was you got a telegram when your loved one died. And so they had this piece of, if, if they were a telegram company, we don't send telegrams anymore. But they said, no, 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 we're all about uh, secure information. And so then they said, well, that's a superpower. Like, that is independent of technology. So, so now what information do we need to send securely? I know. Let's send money around. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, shaping the future with Byron Reese. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers channel. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Shaping the Future with Byron Reese. And now, back to the chat with Byron. And so I would say that I would say if I were, if I had a business now, I would think really long and hard about what is uh, your, I don't, I hate using the word superpower, but what is it? What is that thing that you do that you feel like, Hey, as long as we're doing that, uh, we're okay. I've, I've um, been able to been fortunate to visit the Lego factory in Denmark on more than one occasion. And, uh, and, I, and, and, and I met with the president and, you know, Lego went through a hard time. And I said, um, how did you get through that hard time? It's like in the 90s that they had the hard time. And he, he said, well, you know, there are a lot of things. But I, we figured out that what we know how to do is make this brick. Like, that's the thing we know how to do. We don't 
maybe we can't run theme parks and maybe we can't do all these other things. We know how to make that brick better than anybody. And, uh, and so that's what they've decided their superpower was. And that's what they put all their energy on. So those would be my two things. Figure out how you can use technology, destroy things you're having to do, free you up to do higher value things, and then look deep inside and figure out what your superpower is. That's very insightful. And I've got to think about that. There's, there's a lot I can say about that. But one other thing that I kind of think while we're innovating, we're moving, is the education of all this. It's just changed so much and it's changing even more. What do you see or where do you see we're going in terms of education on all of this? You mean as a society, how are we educating people and how is that changing? Yeah, because that determines what we know, what we do, how we work, how we develop more technology. It's all part of that. And that's all shifting as well. Look, we have a university system that is a 12th century French invention. And its singular characteristic is that it is highly durable. It has not changed in a thousand years. And to think about everything that's happened in the last thousand years, you know, you've had bubonic plague and movable type and the Protestant Reformation, all of that. But somehow universities made it all the way through. So there's something about them that's resilient. Now, our K through 12 system, that's a Prussian, a German invention in the 19th century. And that was designed to do something uh, that it does very well, by the way. Uh, it was designed to make factory workers. So it was modeled after a factory. And if you think about it, you even use the same language, right? You, um, you're told what to do by a supervisor. If you have a question, you're not supposed to figure it out. You raise your hand and you ask your supervisor, what should I do? And then periodically you get a performance review. And if your performance review is good, you get promoted to the next level. Then periodically a bell rings and you do different work. And then another bell rings and you do different work. And so you can think like, okay, they were trying to make people homogenous so they could go to work in a factory that understood all of that. Now, we need different skills today. And we talk in a second about what those are. But if I went, I'm 53 years old. If I went back to high school uh, in 1987 is when I graduated, um, there's only one class I could have taken that would be useful to me today. And that is typing, which I did not take. And that, what that tells me is there's really nothing. K through 12 is not a vocational thing. Everything I do in my job, I did what your listeners did, I'm sure, and that is we teach ourselves. We find out, oh my gosh, I need to know about something, and then you start reading about it, and then it's 3 a.m., and you collect all these links, and, and, and that, that, that ability to teach yourself, that is the superpower. And the good news is everybody on the planet can do it, like everybody at every level can teach themselves new things. So I don't actually lay awake at night worrying that the 11th grade, like, you know, do we need to teach everybody trigonometry? I don't think so, but I don't think it really matters in the grand scheme of things. Because if you're worried about, if you think about jobs, there's really nothing that you could teach them today that in 10 years is going to be the same. So you teach people how to teach themselves. So I, you know, I, I mentioned to you, um, my wife and I homeschooled four kids. You know, in retrospect, maybe we should have put one in public school like a control kid and then experiment on the other three and kind of compare the results. But we didn't. We just went all in. And, uh, and I think, you know, I think it's very limited, very few things. You've got to figure out what it is you're passionate about, if, which 
I think the people I'm, I know who are most happy and fulfilled with their jobs enjoy what they do. And if you're able to do that and uh, learn how to teach yourself new things. And then our society today rewards uh, communication. I think about my father. My father left college and I bet he never wrote another word, never, never wrote a word. Uh, rest of his life, maybe he wrote a letter to an editor or something. And what do we do? We write all day long. And that's exactly kind of where I think we were going with this too, is the world is changing so much so fast. And when I think of what I did five years, college, university, the whole gamut, and did well. And when I graduated, while I was still working, there was really nothing that I can think of that was highly useful to get a job to start my own business. The only thing that I think was the best experience I had was my class on speaking, public and public speaking. I loved it. That was great. I, knew, I wanted more of that. But everything else, even marketing, was just talking about things done in the past, but not things that you can do in the future or where you could go. Though it was stimulating as well. I would say my marketing was stimulating. My, my public speaking was very useful. Everything else changed. I see people that they graduate university and they go, the world's different. You, you can't really use it too much. And I love what you said about the fact that we have to self-teach. We have to put that together and look at what this, what's changing, what next year and the year after, and then learn based on that as opposed to learn something that was put together and written in a book you know, years ago. I couldn't agree more. You said something very startling, striking. You Here you are, very successful, and you said you probably failed five out of six times. So I'd like to ask you, if you can go back and think, what was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Well, I have a lot of them. I mean, I, I, would, I, would, I would say this way. I, <laughs> a true story. I had a I had a website once that had a lot of traffic and uh, I didn't and I needed to monetize it. So I said, "Well, I'll just start some businesses and I'll run ads to sell something on uh, my website." So I started coming up with businesses and I had two ideas at one time. I had two ideas and one of them uh, was I'm going to send letters from Santa Claus to kids. Their parents will pay $10 and I will mail the letters from North Pole, Alaska. And kids will get a letter from Santa, postmark North Pole. And then I thought, second business. They used to have singing telegrams, right? Um, at least in the movies. And I said, we should bring that back, but do on the telephone. So for $10, you can, you know, put your, your friend's phone number and pick a date and pick a song and somebody calls and sings to them, right? So we launched both of those. The singing telegrams was just, we did not tell anything. I don't mean that like I'm rounding. Nobody ordered one. Like my mother did not order one. Nobody in the entire world wanted one of those. Letters from Santa, on the other hand, I've sold 600,000 of those. And I couldn't tell the difference between those two ideas. I couldn't tell the difference between those two ideas going into them. And so I just sort of figured that the first thing I do is I don't ever internalize the failure, or I try not to. I say, you know, that idea failed. Like, that was a terrible idea. Who in the world would have ever thought it was a good idea? And, uh, and therefore, I don't feel like I'm 
you know, weighed down with failure. And the other thing is when things do work, you also have to know it's not you either. Like you can't let it go to your head and think you're all that or anything like that. Oh, that idea worked. I am very grateful for that. So part of it is just like emotionally distancing yourself from the outcome, because to the extent that you're involved in it, you're, I think, going to make poorer choices. I also think that the way we make decisions, people are prone to to believing what they think. uh, And that's a hard thing to reject. But your brain is a sneaky thing. Like, don't believe everything it tells you. And even, even worse, you know, the way when you have a hard decision to make, let's say you're a CEO and, you know, one person thinks we ought to do this, one person thinks we ought to do that. And so you have this meeting and the person who thinks one, you know, has their passionate thing and makes their argument, has their deck and second person, not as much. We weigh them and we say, okay, that person did better. I'm going with that. But the person who can like debate the best isn't any more likely to be right than the other person. So it's like a lot of these skills that we learn that we use to navigate that seem very common sense to us uh, don't, aren't necessarily. So I've had just tons of those. I mean, if I just started rattling them off to you, they're going to sound really funny. Cause after we were, after we were selling all the Santa letters, I was like, you know, I bet people want a white Christmas every year. I'm going to buy some of those machines that they use at ski slopes and I'm going to start making snow and I'm going to rent a warehouse and keep it chilled. And I'm going to make all this snow and I'm going to send it to people who don't live in cold places so they can have snowball fight on Christmas. That was a bad idea. It was <laughs> terrible. It was fun, but it was a terrible idea. Just awful. And so at some point, you know, I don't laugh about them during them, but they don't gar me. They don't weigh me down. Great, great stories about your, uh, your past failures and successes. Once again, we talked about shaping the future with Byron Reese, and you can find him at byronreese.com. Byron, thanks so much for sharing with us today. Very stimulating. It's changed my outlook on what I think the future can hold. Not that I am without hope, but it's given me more hope on being able to shape and control even my own future and my own business. Thank you so much. Very profound and informative and stimulating, mentally stimulating. Thank you so much. Well, that is, that is very, very kind of you to say. And if you ever um, would like me to come back, I would love to. We will definitely see about that. You've got lots to share. Thank you so much. And now here's an insider's brief about providing resources through volunteer work. For 16 years, the Coors Light Lideras program has recognized, highlighted, and honored the achievements of emerging Latino leaders through an online public voting competition, a national campaign, and robust community outreach. Last year, five outstanding leaders were selected to receive a $10,000 grant for their nonprofit organization and professional development access as part of the Changemakers Alumni Network. Let's meet Jennifer Cortez, a 2021 Coors Light Leader of the Year, She's from Magdaleno Leadership Institute, Dallas, Texas. Hi, Jennifer, and welcome to the show. Hi, so happy to be here. Jennifer, can you tell us about the Coors Light Leaderist Program? So the Coors Light Leaderist Program has been going on for 16 years, since, since 2006, and it is a, pro, uh, a program that supports the work of inspiring and passionate leaders 
to make a lasting impact on their communities and and inspire the next generation of Latino leaders. Uh, There, I am part of about 21 nonprofit organizations across the nation that since 2006, CORE's Light Lividas program has awarded more than $400,000 in grants. So, and, it, and we also are part of a network called the Coors Light Vividas Changemakers Alumni Network so that we can grow and we can also network and talk with each other and make that connection across the nation for all the work that we do that is, goes nationwide and even global. That's really amazing. So who are the Coors Light Leaders? So Coors Light Vividas are uh, individuals like myself uh, who are impacting their communities uh, across the nation. Um, and as well as globally. So I know the program, the organization I represent uh, also does some global work, uh, but we each received ten, a $10,000 grant uh, for our organization that we represent to do that. But we are, like I said, professional and community leaders and volunteers from all across the nation. Jennifer, what does it mean to be named a 2021 Coors Light Leader of the Year? So uh, it's it, it means it's really an honor. So it's an honor to be able to be named that. It also means that you are making an impact in your community, that you are doing things differently, and that you are creating awareness for your community uh, and the and to have not just transactional impact but transformational impact in the work that you do. So uh, that that's what that means. It means it's a great honor, and for me, I'm not used to being in the spotlight. But it was, uh, it is definitely something that is, has changed me and, and helping me to grow. That's fantastic. So how will this grant award help your nonprofit make a positive impact in your community? So we've actually already utilized our $10,000 grant uh, here at the Magdalena Leadership Institute. So even though we're based in, in Dallas, we do work all across the nation, especially in Texas and globally. But for this grant, we used in South Texas, uh, over in Laredo, United ISD, and we brought together teachers to position them beyond just leaders in their classroom. They are really global leaders and community leaders and national leaders, too. Uh, all the teachers that uh, attended with us over the summer also received us their ELL certification. And then as part of that, we also brought 3,000 parents to also be involved uh, in parent workshops, uh, alongside teacher workshops. Uh, the beautiful thing about all of that is that it was a $10,000 grant that after this, the events that we had there in, in Laredo, uh, it was, became seed money for really a $100,000 uh, commitment to create a, their own parent center uh, that is really continuing to have a ripple effect in that community. They have a clothing boutique, a mental wellness courses. They have a cafe. It's, it's really bringing that to them. And it was so inspiring to both the teachers and the parents. We had parents there that got their passports. They were able to be taken around um, different workshops as if, as if they were going to different countries. It was really special and a very unique time. And it, it helped us impact so many people. And we look forward to doing it again. Thanks for sharing all that. And Jennifer, where can people go if they want more information? So for more information on the Coors Light Leaders program, www.coreslightvividus.com. For more information on Magdalena Leadership Institute, we do have a Facebook. We also are at mlimovement.org. I do uh, encourage everyone to go and visit us there. I also encourage everyone to make sure you nominate at coreslightvividus.com. That's how I'm here, and that's 
it's also been uh, the Coors Light Visa's program has been foundational to the work that we do over at MLI, the Middle Leadership Institute. Even the founding of our program started with Coors Light Visa's, so we make sure we nominate someone each year. Uh, and right now, we're going through our own files to figure out who's going to be our nominee. Once again, congratulations on being a 2021 Coors Light Leader of the Year. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Tony. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. Very stimulating conversation. We discussed shaping the future with Byron Reese. I think we went all over the universe, past, present, and future. We talked about AI and the optimism for it. We talked about automation, good, bad, and different. We talked about the future of work, jobs tomorrow. We talked about innovating in the world. We talked about education. So much so I like to know what resonated with you. What did you like? Tell us about it. And please remember supporting the show with a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And also, I say this a lot, please share this with a few friends to help them too, okay? Thank you so much. And let's use this to help you move on your journey to success. Thanks. And remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.